Welcome to Leaders Lens. I'm Jacob Espinoza. And I am Cassidy Edwards, and we are analyzing our favorite movies through the Leaders Lens. Enjoy. We are back at the Leaders Lens podcast. I am Jacob Espinoza here with my good friend Cassidy Edwards. And for the month of February, to celebrate Black History Month, we have been focusing on impactful movies in Black cinema. And Cassidy, today we're talking about Boys in the Hood. Why was this such an impactful movie? Hey, what is up, my good people? Yes, we are diving into Boys in the Hood. This was a just a revolutionary film, like 19, early 1990s, so we're moving through the years a little bit more. Um, it was directed by John Singleton, who unfortunately, you know, he passed away uh, right before 2020, I want to say, but um, definitely a cautionary tale that follows friends, three friends specifically, like living in Crenshaw in California in the 90s. And it was impactful because it was real. Like it was very authentic. I mean, this film came out over 30 years ago. I was in elementary school, so I definitely watched it like later on in life. I want to say I was probably middle school um, when I finally saw it and rewatched it multiple times. But um, not only did John Singleton went, you know, was nominated for Oscars, you know, nominated as the first uh, black director, best director at the Oscars. He was also nominated as the youngest director being in his early 20s. But the significance of the film actually rings true today, like all the issues around racism, relationships, um, violence in the streets, like what's really happening. He depicted it in such an authentic way that you couldn't help but just watch what was going on in awe, but also in anguish. Like you had there was a duality of feelings throughout the movie that um, when I rewatched it, I was like, wow, this shit is really, really, it's really deep, to be honest. So I, it always stuck with me and it still, uh, you know, rings true for me today. Yeah, just a, a powerful movie. And, and you can just feel in every scene that he just felt a call to ha- tell this story, that he wanted people at a much wider level to just understand what was happening in this community and um, i mean some of the characters that you you get to meet you're just attracted to drawn to you want to know more about for different reasons um but for those that haven't seen the movie give us just a, a quick synopsis what is this movie about yeah so it's it's set in the early 90s so a lot of that 90s culture that we love as 80s babies growing up in the 90s so the way they were dressed and and kind of the you know the streetwear and the big gold jewelry and and the flashy things the cars there was a lot of like cars in the movie um but it really followed friends from when they were young probably like mm, I want to say like late maybe late elementary school is when the movie started and it fast forwarded pretty quickly um, once it gave that that visual of their environment and kind of the struggle of being in the streets and living, you know, in that environment, how it deeply impacts your life. Um, it follows them through kind of like seeing drugs and murder and like just really toxic things and moves them into, you know, as teenagers. Like so. It's kind of a um, a cautionary tale, but also like a coming of age story, as they say, of like, you know, what happens with these friends. And I will say that you should watch it if you haven't seen it for sure. But it's definitely one of those movies where like don't expect a happy ending based on like the story. Like there, there's really no way to have a truly happy ending in this sense. But great movie. 
And like I said, John Singleton also, he directed Higher Learning. So that's another very deep movie, Poetic Justice, um, you know, all of those to paint the picture and really give an inside look at what life looked like from, um, you know, from being a Black man or woman who's living in, you know, in certain neighborhoods and stuff. So check it out if you haven't seen it. <laughs> I love it. And I think one of the uh, the most impactful leaders in the movie is, is Loris Fishburne who plays the character George, uh, Jason Furious Styles Jr. And how, how did he lead? How did he lead throughout this movie? So Lawrence Fishburne is great. He is one of the greats um, uh, actors. But uh, if you watch him recently, you probably like him in like a John Wick or something like that. But, you know, going back, I want to say, was he the, the one in Deep Cover? Um, that Maybe that was him. But in the movie, this movie, he had some really great leadership qualities. He had mentorship and guidance. Um, he led by example. Um, he had very effective communication. And I think communication is going to be a foundational piece to every movie. Either you're a great communicator or you're not so great. Um, but there are a lot of leadership lessons that we pulled from those three areas of communication, leading by example, and really like his mentorship and guidance uh, with his son, Trey, who was paid, played by Cuba Gooding Jr. And something that um, one, one of his strongest qualities was, was vision. Like he could, he could see beyond his surroundings and understand how the actions of today are going to lead to different types of tomorrow. So even with scenes where um, his son comes to his home and the first thing he does is like, you need to rake up these leaves. And he has a conversation with his son around the fact that I'm doing this because I want to set you up for success in the future. Like we, I want to do the hard things now so that you're set up and you're ready to be an adult when you do become an adult. I want to be that, give you that guidance, give you that structure that you're going to need to do that. But then you also have scenes where he's trying to do the same thing for his community and help them understand that like things could be different. Like it's up to us to make the change that has to start from, from within, which is, is challenging because there are so many things that are, are preventing that change from happening. But he, he's a consistent voice throughout the, the movie even though there are a lot of scenes where it's, it's just him trying to get people bought in. He doesn't have a lot of people rallying behind him, behind these set cause. Yeah, I love that um, you called out vision because he he truly did see past just the bubble that they were kind of living in. Um, and I think, you know, great leaders, even good leaders, they communicate effectively, but he also had that attribute of like active listening where he would just sit and listen. He wouldn't really interrupt that much, um, but you could tell that he was truly listening to whether he was talking to his son or the friends, you know, in the neighborhood or the actual neighborhood community members. Um, and he kind of fostered that environment where everyone felt heard, even if they didn't agree, they would still listen. And he yes. asked the right questions. He asked really like open-ended kind of thought-provoking questions. Like, why do you think this? Or especially with his son. Um, and I think even as a parent, we can kind of learn from from that, from those lessons. For sure. There actually were a few scenes in the movie where it made me change how I'm going to parent my kids. And like, <laughs> maybe I should be giving them some more structure and some, add some more chores on their list, even though it's not the fun thing to do. But like, am I doing the things that are going to set them up for success long term as a, as a father? Um, but he also, I think, great in, in navigating some of the conflict where there were a few scenes where there were 
people that were kind of blaming each other for the problem or um, there, there was a scene where there's an older gentleman that was blaming the younger generation and he was quick to like, let's take a different perspective. He was quick to take the approach of taking a, uh, a different perspective and like, let's take a step even further back. And instead of blaming this group, let's look at like what we can actually do to help move forward and create a better community for all of us. Yeah, he could t- he actually embodied like you could tell that he embodied his values. He valued the community. He valued, you know, being of service. He valued hard work. And so without him even saying those things, he really practiced what he preached, you know, throughout the movie and he inspired people along the way to follow suit. Um, but while he was creating like this ecosystem of accountability and excellence, right? And sometimes I feel like that's hard as a black woman like excellence, resilience, like those words are exhausting, you know, sometimes. And um, it's like, you, you kind of want to rest. Like you don't want to be excellent all the time. You don't want to have to be strong all the time, but he furious did it in a way where you felt included in coming to whatever that vision was, or that you felt like he was kind of collaborating with you. Um, but he was bringing you along, um, in a very like unique way. And it made me think about like how we lead people, you know, or how we lead self even. Yes. What What do you think he did? Like, how did what allowed him to lead himself different than than his neighbors might have? I think that he was really big on like educating himself, right? And so those are those are some qualities. Like he had a, if I had to describe it, maybe like a growth mindset. Um, and he educated people not in the way of like I'm better, I know more, like not out of arrogance or anything like that, but just to make them think, like help them to think critically or think strategically or be like, you know what? We're all fighting for the same thing. Like we're all fighting for the big picture. He laid out the big picture to where it was more digestible. So, but I think he did that through um, mindfulness and education. So very big on educating Trey. But if you notice throughout the movie, he had like those, um, they're like some kind of like these silver balls that you can like, like, I don't know how to describe it. Like you kind of move them around with your hand. It's like a, some kind of, I don't know. Um, but it, it was a mindfulness thing. I felt like, cause he kept calm, like in situations where there was a lot of conflict or friction, he used those, um, to kind of like, it was almost like fidgeting, but in a mindfulness way. Yeah. So it allowed him to to think through and respond to a situation in a way that aligned with his values and his goals as opposed to reacting with the emotion that he was who was experiencing. Yes. Um, I didn't even pick up on that. That's that's a great insight. Because yeah, I definitely remember a few scenes where the balls kept coming up and I was like, Why why does this keep coming up? But mm-hmm. I think that definitely was the connection of just it's this a, a signal of him being mindful in his approach mm-hmm. and in what he does. Because he was very well educated, read a lot, but he also had a a compassion for the community and a desire for things to get better that it seemed like pulled him continue to pull him in that direction even in the moments where he wasn't seeing progress right which can be right. extremely frustrating but he continued to, to fight the fight the good fight yeah he had a great balance of you know like knowledge book smarts you know education wise but then also street smarts you know he had been in the streets and these things. So like he, he understood, he read the room, he understood the environment that he was in and how he could still impact it, you know, impact positively, even if it was incremental, you know, ripples that would turn into big waves, as you saw with the evolution of Trey, his son, you know, little things that he implemented at the beginning, 
created like very big decisions by the end of the movie. Hundred percent. Yeah. Another leader in this movie is Doughboy. Yes. <laughs> he kind of takes a different too. different approach. <laughs> yes. I see this. Yeah. In, this is his first movie as well, right? This is like. He was a rapper. He got a shot in an incredible movie. Played, this is like the perfect role for him to, to step in as well. Because I think it matched his image at that time so much with what he was doing in music. Mm-hmm. And like, incredible what he's, what he's done now. Yes. Yeah, so I think this, this was post like NWA. He had kind of like separated from them at the point. Um, and I love how John Singleton like pulled in people that he, he had already knew he had already been like trying to recruit ice cube to do the movie um so he was already like very target recruiting you know ice cube um which it definitely fit kind of his his persona at the time um but he we had some leadership lessons that i would say ice cube or doughboy like we pulled out of the movie they weren't so great though as compared to Lawrence fishburne talk through those what what were some yeah. of the lessons that you feel like you so I think some of them were, I'll pull out like a a few, let's say three. So there was a lack of guidance and support. So in contrast to, you know, Lawrence Fishburne's character, Ice Cube was, you know, um, he neglected to provide support and guidance to his friends. It was just kind of like um, very like, he talked to them real condescending, derogatory, and it was somewhat of like jokey, jokey, you know, back in the day, like I'm roasting you, like blah, blah, blah. But it really created an environment where they were lost. There was, they were directionless. There was not a lot of direction. Um, it suffocated any growth or development, you know, within the group. Um, because anytime, even his friends talking about college, when like the college recruiter was there, he was just like, you know, shut the hell up. Like he didn't say it that nicely either. Yeah, yeah. But he was just like, get out the way. Like, um, and I think you saw that foreshadowing at the very beginning of the movie by the figures like the parental figures that you kind of saw um so his mother talked to him crazy like she talked to him like he was a nobody that he wasn't worth anything and so that contrast of really really negative talk like creating a hostile environment for for ice cube and then you have uh cuba getting jr's dad who was furious who was um lawrence fishburne always provided affirmations like you're a prince I'm a king. Da, 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 da. So I think that that lack of guidance and support was definitely number one. Yes, like those conversations, like the conversations that people have with us, they end up being the conversations of, with us about us, end up being the conversations we have with ourselves about ourselves as well for not intentional on, on changing that narrative. And you just saw how it kind of uh, evolved into action because he was never afraid of taking action. I think it was one of his like, strongest leadership qualities is like if he felt something needed to be done or he wanted to do something he was he was the first one that's going to jump in and like lead the charge like getting the football back like no like even though these guys are twice my size twice my age like this is my football i'm going to get it back even if it is putting myself at risk he was just fearless in that capacity which could have led to a lot of great things if the way he saw his community the way he saw himself had just been shifted just uh just a little bit like who knows what he could have done because he did have um, a lot of influence as well, where people would rally behind him. And like, if he was about something, people kind of joined him in the cause. He had this, this group that was going to be there for him. Um, but it just, it unfortunately was, it was in a, a negative capacity as opposed to a, a positive uh, focus like Jason Siles had. Yeah. Well, he, he had like a, um, 
he had a very like destructive type of influence and like he knew his influence just like leaders, you know, the influence that you have usually. Um, but because of his decision-making that was quick, but also very impulsive and reactive, you know, that leads to like really detrimental outcomes for not only himself, but for everyone around him, it impacted literally everyone, you know, so that, that negative influence, um, was not great for his peers (laughs) and the environment at all. Mm -hmm. I'll also add about Ice Cube, one of the most underrated rappers, I feel like just in in the game like the the influence he had on west coast culture is almost undisputed like there's very few people that had as big of an impact as he did as talented as a storyteller as he was and i feel he he never gets brought up in the conversations of like top 10 top 20 rappers very often but not related to the movie but i felt called to just 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 throw that out there yes no i used to um i used to love like the west side of because you know growing up in houston in the south it was different like we listen we listened to like dj screw and like which is a visionary in his um visionary in his own right or whatnot but um you know i i had like the tapes back in the days of like west side connection um so like i listened to him a lot and he was big on storytelling much like that west coast of like snoop dogg dr dre tupac um, all of those kind of legendary rappers from that side. Um, so loved that he got into the movies and he's still in movies. Like he's still doing things like that. Um, I think one of the big scenes that drew me in that involved Ice Cube was the very, very end when he kind of sat down and, you know, he was like, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the news and I'm seeing like all these news reports about things happening in the world, like violence and stuff. But nobody's showing like what's happening right here. Like they don't care. And like, so it was like a really strong, um, a really strong conversation that he had with Trey. And then the movie, I think what made it really sad, but real is it starts off with a statistic about, you know, murders and, and killing and stuff like that, especially in the black community. And then it ends with kind of like, here's what happened to Ice Cube after the movie has wrapped or whatnot it's just very sad because it it sandwiches it together with like this is really what's going on and we need to talk about it like we need to have these conversations yeah it almost felt like that was john singleton talking to us like through that monologue like he was just speaking through us through through the doorboy character of what what was happening in the community because especially with the events that lead up to that conversation and then to like really feel like what he's saying as far as like this thing that happened that's just absolutely devastating for our community and our community news stations not even like talking about it. I like, guess not even like a blip on the radar, but it was like a traumatic experience for like everybody in that neighborhood to have mm. this person that was ready to go to college, was getting a scholarship, did all the right things, right? And is no longer with us. Like nobody even cares enough to to talk about it. And it's just like another signal of just hopelessness and mm-hmm. it's hard to take action in a, uh, in, in a positive direction if you don't have any sort of hope that this change can actually you know, lead somewhere. Like, why am I going to take action if I don't believe this action is going to get me to a, to a better place, especially if it's hard, it's making hard decisions. It's going against the grain. It's telling people that we're close to that they're doing the wrong things and we need to shift how we're, how we're moving. Like without that hope, it's, it's, it's challenging and, and almost impossible, I would say. Yeah, I think one um, big leadership lesson 
through the movie is you have these these characters that kind of show up in different ways at different times, but it's it also tells you like it's not too late to do the right thing. Like mm-hmm. you can you can turn things around. Like it's very hostile and toxic in the environment that they were living in. But um, Trey, you know, Cuba Gooding Jr. for example, like he he made some really hard decisions and all of that was foundational from his father's behaviors like role modeling and kind of seeing living out his values but he came around and said like i you know i don't want to do i don't want to live this like i don't want to do this and instead of taking revenge you know because someone you care about something obviously super you know really bad happened to them he he made a decision to be like no i'm going to get out of this and i'm going to help pull the people that are still around me you know, out of it with me, you know, like yeah. his love interest to Nia Long, queen of the nineties, like we love her, um, <laughs> going to Spelman and Morehouse, like by the end of the movie. So I think those are just reminders that, um, you know, you can turn things around, even if, even if it's just by leading yourself in the right direction. Yes. And I love like the, the scene of him getting out of the, like you say, get out of it. Like that scene where he gets out of the car is like literally just, I feel like an analogy of, his mindset of I'm going to do something different. I'm not going to take this, this route. That's is what everybody else is, is doing. Like I'm going to pivot and go a different direction. Yeah. And as a, as a, a good leader or a great leader, I would remind people that, you know, you hold yourself accountable. So you take accountability. There was a lot of lack um, of accountability with like Doughboy's character and all the gang members, of course, um, for their actions. But in order to nurture any type of culture of like responsibility, integrity, like you have to have some accountability and you're not going to get it right every time. Like, but being vulnerable and saying like, I didn't get that right, but like, let's talk about this. It, it just does so much more than blame or, you know, you know, get scapegoats or like subtle microaggressions or not so subtle um, in a workplace, especially. So own up to what, you know, own up to what you do, your mistakes, it will all work out. <laughs> That's I, my, I, think a, my... <laughs> I think a big part of self-leadership is also like being aware of where you're spending your time. Mm-hmm. Cause something that Lawrence, Lawrence Fish, uh, Fishburne's character was good at was not being part of the things that he didn't find productive. Like he was like, mm-hmm. they're doing this over here, but I'm going to be here reading. I'm going to be here getting better. I'm going to be at this event speaking. Um, I'm not going to be doing the things that the people that I want to help, but don't want to be part of necessarily the direction that they're headed. Like he was okay removing himself from that. And I think sometimes that can be really challenging to like literally outcast yourself from the community because we are so ingrained as human beings to be part of community because it was just part of our survival for so long. We had to be part of, of the Mm -hmm. crowd in order to survive. And I think that it makes it challenging sometimes to remove ourselves from that. Um, but it does require, you know, a lot of first self-leadership, a lot of vision, um, a lot of focus and discipline to make that happen. But when we do, we can show others like, hey, there's a better way. Like this, this route over here is going to get us where we need to go. Yeah, uh, that's a great call out for sure. Awesome. Boys in the Hood, incredible movie. What were, what were some of the, uh, the most impactful scenes? In your opinion, we talked about Ice Cube's dialogue. What are some of the other most impactful scenes in your opinion? Yeah. So the whole movie was really like a universal language of authenticity, of realism, and stories that that needed to be told, that needed that mattered. But I would say um any of the any of the conversations with Lawrence Fishburne, uh his his uh, the scripting, the writing was just so strong. 
Um, also, one big scene was Ricky and Trey like being pulled over by the cops. That was like a really hard scene because that was something that was emulated that was really going on with the times. And it's still, you know, prevalent today. It's still, we're still seeing it all the time, but this was around the time with like uh, the Rodney King situation. So it was a really pivotal moment um, that they wanted to uh, maybe emphasize in the movie, not to that level, but to, to give like, Hey, this, these are things that are happening to give elements of that authenticity. And then the ending scene with Ricky, like that was a really, really hard scene to watch. Um, because of all the good things he was doing, you know, taking his SAT, talking to college recruiters, like he was doing the right things in an environment that was meant to impact him in a negative way where he could easily fall into those traps. So um, an interesting, not so fun fact about that scene is the the guy, the actual shooter um, really got into gang activity um, and he actually got um, imprisoned for like a, I want to say it was a homicide um, or a double homicide, something that was pretty wild. And, you know, he got murdered in prison, like in real life. So some of these, um, you know, polarizing conversations or views or depictions in movies actually overflow into real life. It's, it's actually happening. So that was, that was a little wild. But yeah, there was a lot of strong scenes in the movie. Yeah, incredible. Another incredible movie. I think we call every movie a classic, but we're just talking about classic movies. That's why that's a thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, extremely powerful. Um, anything else you want to add about the movie or leadership um, lessons that you took away? I mean, I just love movies like this that are, you know, they're very authentic. And maybe it's because I grew up in, in some of those environments where I saw it firsthand, where I'm like, the way that it was described was almost like beautifully tragic if that makes sense. Um, But uh, John Singleton is one of the greats. So any of his movies are amazing. Um, If you have not watched Snowfall, that is one of my most recent favorite shows that was on FX and it was co-created by John Singleton. Um, And it's around the same kind of time period of like 80s, the crack epidemic. Um, Amazingly written though. So if you haven't and you need to watch a show and you want to binge watch Go watch Snowfall. There you go. Plug for Snowball Snowfall. And this is our, yeah. our last our last February. Am I looking at the calendar right? Or do we have one more? I think this is this could be our last, but if we have one more, then I'm definitely down we for We do some. have one more actually. Yes. Awesome. What should we do for our, our what should we do for the next one? Ooh, I think we need to switch it up to like a fun filled movie because we've kind of been back and forth with like, like ooh, this that. was a really sweet movie. <laughs> yeah. Now let's get back into like, you know, yeah. a little more lighthearted. Um, so I I don't know. I mean, White Men Can't Jump has been on my been on my list because that's a really fun movie. Um let's do it. Yeah. Or Boomerang. One of the two. And the original. We got we can't, yeah, Boomerang would be a good one also. Yeah. Boomerang is a really funny movie and it's also like a romantic comedy. So it kind of fits into like February vibes, you know, that's good. All right. We're going to do boomerang. We're going to make that happen. We can say why we can jump for a, for a di- different episode. Yes. Um, the original, not the remake. We'll, we'll focus on the, uh, the original version. Did you watch the remake of why we can jump? You know jump? what? I have not watched the remake. And I thought maybe because I would have in my head, I'm like, that's blasphemous. Why would they remake that? <laughs> but yeah, there is, there's no need to remake that movie at all, but no, they did it. It's it's a fun movie, you know. 
But yeah. if you expect to expect the, another classic movie, you don't quite get it. But mm. you know, they, they made it. They made it. It's they, so many remakes right now. It's kind of unfortunate. I know there's a lot of really talented writers out there with some great ideas that aren't getting getting traction because there's so much focus on on the world of, of rewriting. It feels like like a lot of movies getting big budgets are are remakes and things like that or prequels to popular movies in the past. So, yes, I'm always interested to to see like what is a what constitutes for like a good remake or like a an actually good sequel or prequel and like what is one that has been good. Like yeah. you know, that's not been like eh it was okay, you know, like Coming to America obviously it had a sequel which I feel like they shouldn't have done that, but it was it was entertaining, but I wouldn't call it like oh that was amazing, that was great. So exactly. that may be something for you all to think about and come back and let us know, like, what is a remake or a um, sequel that was actually just as good or better than the original? I love I can't it. Think of it right now. <laughs> let us know on, on Instagram at Mr. Jacob SB at Cassidy on the gram. We'll leave the link in the show notes like always, but we appreciate you joining the journey here with us on Leaders Lens. Thank you.